How is everybody doing on this beautiful, looks like it's going to rain kind of day? If you, look, if you look off to the west, Dave Jackson and I were talking, I was like, I looked out the window and he goes, yeah, that's why I got my button gear and got here fast because it was coming. Uh, it is. There's a storm coming, so be careful when you leave today. Uh, if you're just joining us or just joining us for the first time in a while or have never been here before, thank you for coming today. We are in the third week of a series called It's Complicated. It's a study of the book of Hosea and God's off-again and on-again relationship with His people because relationships can be complicated. In the first week, we talked about uh, a promiscuous faith, this idea that God asked His prophet Hosea to marry somebody He knew would cheat on Him. He knew it would be unfaithful to him, and asked him to do that because, he's very blunt about it, said, because this is how I feel like the people of Israel have treated me. He then last week jumped into what we call the lawsuit, and it was a case he was levying against the people of God, saying, these are the lists of of things and problems and difficulties and all the stuff that you do that drives me nuts in our relationship, drives me crazy. And he pointed out one group of people in particular. Do you remember who they were? Impact. That's great, Rob. All right, so they were, they were the priests. They pointed out the priests. He picked on them. He said, you are my, my connection to the people. You are, you are the source. You are the the person they go to for atonement. You are the person they go to to learn of me, and yet my people are literally dying because they do not know me. Out of lack of knowledge, they do not know me, and they are dying because of it. And then we discussed that with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, something changed about the priesthood. There went from being one single high priest to what? A royal priesthood that is comprised of each and every person who follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you recall, as we read the verses out of chapter 4, the description that Hosea gave of, of the world around them, the death, the anger, the slander, the meanness, the bad attitudes, the horrible things that were all going on, there was a pretty direct connection between what we seem to experience now. And he also said, look, as my high priest, don't think you're protected from this. If the world around you collapses, you are probably going to collapse along with it. You're going to experience the same things. And I don't think you have to go very far to realize that we do. When crime rates are higher, it's more likely we're going to experience crime, right? When drugs are more prevalent, it's more likely we're going to be in contact with somebody in our life who has a drug problem. That's just the reality of it. We live in this world. That's the challenge of being in it but not of it, and it is our reality. And so he was pretty clear to his priests and pretty clear to us that we have a job to do, and our job is to make the world, make him known to the world. You can't make the world know anything, right? But make him known to the world, and in our case, that's spreading what? The gospel, right? The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So now, are we caught up? Y'all got to talk back or this is going to be a long day. Okay. So this week we're going to go into something we call an apology, sort of, where his people are apologizing, sort of. I think we can identify an apology, sort of, 
The phrase I would, I would encourage you to watch for as an adult is if somebody says, I'm sorry, but that's an apology, sort of. When I was, a, when, well, let's go with a fake family. We'll go with two brothers, Craig and Rob, and their mom happens to be Sue. So this is all hypothetical. No connection to anything else. So let's, let's say Craig and Rob get into a fight and they beat the daylights out of each other. Because, you know, I know that's hypothetical because brothers would never do that, right? They beat the daylights out of each other. And mom, because Rob started the fight, mom grabs Rob and takes Rob over to Craig and says, you need to tell him you're sorry right now, right? What does Rob do? He started it. And she said, no, I watched it. You started it. Tell him you're sorry. I'm sorry. Right? Now, am I sorry? Not really. (laughs) See, that's a fake apology. A real apology is an apology that's given for how my actions affected you. If I'm apologizing to you, it's something I've done and it's affected you poorly. A fake apology is that when we have to give, we feel like we have to give, but we're really upset because of how it's affected me. Right? I'm not really sorry you're hurt. I'm really sorry I got caught, right? I'm really sorry I'm, I have to do this right now. Have you ever had to give a fake apology? Right? Maybe your job depended on it, right? Maybe you had to apologize to somebody and the whole time you're just going, I'm not going to apologize to this person, right? Been there, done that. Most of us have. That's a fake apology or an apology, sort of. So as we enter our text today in Hosea chapter 6, God's people are trying to apologize to him, sort of. They say this, they say, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, and he will heal us. He has wounded us, and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days, and on the third day, he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. Oh, Do you hear the Jesus reference? Just saying. Don't miss that. And he said, let us strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. Right? So why are they turning back to God right now? Well, I I picked out three reasons. First is their wounds need healing. Right? Seems like a reasonable reason to turn to God, right? You're hurting. You're in a bad place. You turn. There comes the thunder. You, t- you turn to him in our times of, of pain, and your wounds need healing. And maybe his, their relationship with him needs mending. They realized that they, you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? And, and they've, they've realized they need to mend that relationship. And maybe they're turning to him because their circumstances need improving. How often do we turn to God when our circumstances are in shambles and we need them to improve? We talked about that in the Promiscuous Faith Week. We are more likely when things are bad to suddenly turn back to Him because we realize we're out of options, right? But those are all reasonable reasons. I don't want to say you shouldn't turn to God in those times because, quite frankly, you should. We all should. But God is understandably leery. Let's get into the next set of verses. It says this, What am I going to do with you, Ephraim? Do you hear the parent in him? What am I going to do with you, Rob? Right? 
What am I going to do with you, Judah? Is your love is like the morning mist and like the early dew that vanishes. This is why I have used the prophets to cut them down. I've, I've killed them with the words from my mouth. My judgment strikes like lightning, for I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, at first glance, I can totally hear the parent going, I've yelled at you, I've punished you, I've coached you, I've whispered in your ear, I've done whatever I can do to help you change, and yet here we are again dealing with this. Does God wonder if he's enabling or helping sometimes? Do you wonder when you're trying to correct your children, are you enabling or helping? Do you wonder when you're dealing with other adults if you're enabling or helping? I wonder if God feels that way. I can't say that he does, but he's got to be wondering, is he making the problem better or worse? I certainly wonder that. Over the next few chapters, he uh, equates his people with several things. First, he calls them bread, poorly cooked bread that is burnt on one side by their relationship with Baal, yet completely raw in their relationship with God on the other side. He also calls them moldy bread, unusable and ruined because they've allowed these other things to seep into their life. He calls them silly doves, not knowing which direction to turn, wishy-washy. He calls them an untended oven with their passions burning so hot and long that they catch fire and destroy everything around them. And he calls them a treacherous bow, always shooting themselves in the foot. And even a wild donkey stubbornly going off in their own regardless of God's direction. Uh, sometimes, I got to tell you, I feel like a silly, silly bow-wielding donkey, where I feel like it's easy to get misdirected. Which, should, which direction should I go? Who should I listen to to speak into my life? I certainly feel like a treacherous bow shooting myself in the foot. You ever shot yourself in the foot? There's a really great video of this DEA agent uh, stand, several years old, standing in front of a classroom, teaching kids gun safety and saying, I'm the only person qualified to use this gun. Nobody else in this classroom should use this gun. And he promptly does what? Shoots himself in the foot. It's hilarious. We should not laugh at other people's pain, but there's an irony there that's really funny. And I certainly am stubborn, right? But did you notice that God describes how he wants to handle his people in the midst of this phrase. Um, our struggle as, as the people of God and the people that Hosea are, are, is dealing with right now, their struggle is seeing God as part of their life rather than God as the source of life. There's a, a difference there, right? You go to God when you're in trouble because you need him to get you out of trouble. You go to God because you have to because that's just what you're supposed to do rather than going to God because it is the source of your life, your strength, your healing, your health, and everything else there is. When we, when we treat God like a part of life instead of the source of life, we're in trouble. And it's exactly what the people of God are doing here and kind of what we have a tendency to do too if we're not careful. So, what's this next acronym mean? Does anybody know what these three letters mean? If you're a doctor, it might mean, let's see what they wrote down, deep tendon reflex. 
If you drive a motorcycle, it might be a Yamaha DTR. What if you're on Facebook? You don't know? Wow. DTR, define the relationship. Define the relationship. Define the relationship is this conversation that we have sometimes, a conversation where two people discuss their mutual understanding of a relationship. It is sometimes avoided because it can be really weird, right? It's kind of like when somebody has the risk to say, I love you, when they're first starting a relationship and they're waiting for that other person to say, what? I love you too. One person's trying to define the relationship, the other person's not really interested in defining the relationship or is shocked at how this other person is defining it. It's a conversation we try to avoid, we tend to avoid. Do you know that Heather and I got engaged in the middle of a define our relationship conversation? It was really an argument, is what it was. It was really, are we gonna break up? Are we done? Are we finished? And then we left the conversation engaged. I would say that our relationship went from defining it as nothing to defining it as everything in a hot second, which is why she made me ask her again in a week. But those, those conversations are always difficult, and yet God says, I want to define the relationship and if, that I want to have with you, and if you're careful, you can see where he did. In Hosea 6.6, 6, he says this, he says, for I desire faithful love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, on, on first glance, that, that verse could really confuse you. It confuses me, because if you were... The people of God at the time, at the time that Hosea is writing, sacrifices and burnt offerings are part of your God-ordained way of connecting with Him. It is how sin is dealt with. It is how change is affected. It is how relationships are reclaimed. It's how things are made right between you and God, sacrifices and burnt offerings. And so yet, yet he says, I want faithful love and not sacrifice. I want knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's strange because it's part of their identity. That's part of how they express their faith. It's their expression of their, their connection to God are, are those things and others, but those things are key to their relationship with God. It'd be something similar to us saying, you know, I prefer, I prefer faithful love and not tithing, or I prefer knowledge of God and not coming to church, or I prefer knowledge of God and not reading the Bible, which would be an oxymoron, right? But it's weird because th these, these are the things that identify their faith and express their faith. So why would he say, I don't want those things, I want this instead? Because the value of what we do in our faith is determined by why we do it. The value of what we do in our faith is determined by why we do it. Sacrifices, per se, have very little value if you're not doing it for the right reason. Coming to church has very little value if we're not doing it for the right reasons. Why matters. It's a matter of the heart. Hence, faithful love. Hence, knowledge of God. Why we do something should be as important, if not more important to us than what we do, because I believe it is to God. Because He does not call us to be perfect, 
right? If how we do things was the most important thing, then we would still all be under some very strict 622 Levitical laws where everything had to be absolutely just right. And yet we're not because where our heart is is far more important than how we do it. Why is more important than how? Always to God. Does that mean how doesn't matter? No. He tells us how to do some things. But what's important is that we do them for the right reasons. Jesus actually refers to this text twice, once in Matthew 9, once in Matthew 12. Let's go to that. It says, Matthew 9, this is 9 through 13. It says, now, when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. The irony there is he's, he's speaking to the Pharisees, the ones who, who think that they're good. They're all set because they do all of the right things, right? And yet he tells them, no, you're not. The Pharisees have set themselves up in a poor position. They have determined their righteousness by their own works rather than determining their righteousness by the work that God is doing or by their relationship with him. That is the message of Hosea. That is the message that Jesus is, is talking about. And that is the message for us too. Because that's a danger. That's a real danger to, defer, to, to determine how good we are or how righteous we are or where we stand with God by what we're doing rather than why we're doing it. Okay? Let me give you an example of some things. Okay? Making myself righteous by my own work versus finding my righteousness in my relationship with God. Go to the first one. Okay? Righteousness by my own work comes with, I change because God will love me more. If I just do the right things and I become the right person, God will love me more. It's almost like he, you're saying God has to love me. I'm making him sign a contract. Can I just tell you a secret? God can't love you any more than he already does. You cannot do or say anything that will make you love him, make him love you more or less. Understanding that our righteousness, righteousness comes from relationship means that I change because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. It's a response. We change out of a response for what God has already done and how he already feels and what he already desires rather than doing it because it'll make him love me more. See, see how one is manufacturing my own righteousness, my own goodness, my own perfection, and one is God's and God's alone and not mine to claim or take. How about this next one? I read Scripture because I have to. Rob stands up front and says, read your Bible every day, so I read it. I feel guilty. I got to read it or I'm in trouble. But understanding that we're righteous by relationship says I read Scripture because it's God-breathed and it moves me toward a stronger relationship with Him. I don't know why the bottoms are cut off, but they are. A stronger relationship with Him. It's a recognition that God has already provided us with what we need to grow. And all we're doing is accepting that gift. 
It dri it, the, the driver matters. Both actions are the same. You're both reading Scripture. If you're reading it for the first one, it's no wonder that you're not getting anything out of it. If you read it completely out of obligation, it's hard to consistently get something out of it because you're bringing the wrong heart to it. How about the next one? It says, I pray because I'm out of options. How many of us pray more when we're in trouble? How many of us pray more when we've tried everything else first within our own power and it hasn't worked and we go, okay, I guess I'm just going to pray more, right? We giggle because we all do it. We would all love to believe that we have the ability to fix everything ourselves. I would love to be able to fix everything myself. Here's my reality. I can't. And so if we're doing, praying for the right reasons, again, we're both praying. It's not about how, it's about why. I pray because my connection to God is life-giving for myself and others. I pray because God breathes life into me every time I pray. Because of His righteousness, His strength, His blessings, His mercy, and His grace. It's got nothing to do with me. I'm not earning it. I'm doing it because I know this is what God wants. And because I desire my heart to resemble His. It's driven by His strength and His grace, not by my own desire to get what I want or to be righteous. Next. I gather with other believers because it keeps my membership current. That word membership is in quotations for a couple of reasons. You know, it's one, yes, if, if you're a, a member of our church, we, we ask that if you're going to be an active member that you, you regularly attend because we think it's critical that you be involved with the body of Christ. But, but there's also some idea that, that if we just go to church and hang out with other people, that that will keep us in a good relationship with God just by virtue of the fact that we show up. How do you know if that's your driver? If I, I will tell you honestly, if the only time you think about the things of God is when you come in here on Sunday mornings, that may be the camp you're in right now. I'm just trying to maintain and keep things good so I don't have to go to hell. I hate to use those terms, but that's the reality of it. Instead, if I'm doing it for the right reasons, if I'm gathering, these, express, these are all expressions of our faith, are they not? Praying, reading Scripture, gathering with others, right? Those are all things that are expressions of our faith. But if we're doing it because of our relationship with the Lord, we're righteous by our relationship with Him. You say, I gather with other believers because He has provided us with gifting so that we might strengthen each other. I recognize that God has provided us with a gift and that I am blessed by coming, and I am able to bless others by, by gathering with them too. It's not an obligation or a habit. Honestly, it's an honor and a privilege. It's an honor and a privilege. One is pursuing a deeper relationship with God and understands that our fullness, our righteousness, our completeness comes with that. That is how God defines our relationship with Him. The other is honestly completely dependent upon my ability to earn it. You can't do that. You cannot earn salvation. You cannot earn mercy. You cannot earn grace from God, honestly, because none of us deserve it. We're all busted. 
we're all broken, we're all imperfect. Correct or no? Raise your hand if you're perfect. Holly. Okay, so we will add prayers for Holly to the end of our... None of us are perfect. You can't earn perfection. You can't make yourself perfect. And yet, in Hosea's time, as he's writing these words from God, he's watching his people trying to make themselves into whatever it is they think they need to be or can be all on their own. That's why they're, they're chasing other gods to get them what they want out of life. That's why they're chasing other rituals. That's why their hearts are hardened. That's why they don't listen. And it's honestly why it's always an on-again, off-again proposition. I'm connected to God and then I'm not. I'm connected to God and then I'm not. If, when, that, when that has happened to me in the past, and it has, what I found is because my heart was not in the right place. I was in, my, in a relationship with God because of what it was getting me, not because of what He had done for me. Because one should drive us to seek a deeper relationship always with Him, a faithful Love, because when you're faithfully in love with somebody, does that not change the way you relate to them? Does that not change the way you speak to them? Does that not change the way you talk to them, you act with them, you provide for them, you respond to them? It changes the way that works. This notion of falling in and out of love with God or in and out of love with each other is an indication that maybe we were in the relationship for the wrong reasons because of what it gets me, not because of what He's done. So, let's look at a different set of letters. RTR, redefining the relationship with God. Remember, he said, for I desire faithful love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Clearly, I think we've, I hope we've covered the fact that it's not that he doesn't want sacrifice or doesn't want burnt offerings, that it doesn't matter to him if we come to church or it doesn't matter to him if we tithe or it doesn't matter to him if we read scripture. It totally matters to him, but what matters to him more than how we do it? Why? Why we do it? So how do we cultivate that heart? Well, I'm going to give you some practical advice for cultivating a heart that, is, that does things for the right reasons in our relationship with God. The first is this, prioritize Scripture. Structurally set aside non-negotiable times, one to two times a day. You're building a habit, and you say to me, okay, Rob, I get that, but if, we, if I ask you, if I were to stop and ask each of you individually how many of us read Scripture once or twice a day, every day, how many could honestly say yes? I'm not asking for a show of hands. <laughs> I'm just saying, on the whole, we say it, but do we do it? There's a difference. One, is, one demonstrates faithful love. One demonstrates a hardened heart. Spontaneously, 
If you have an opportunity, a downtime, dead time, please don't get out your phone every time and look at Facebook or chat on Instagram or check the web or look at weather for the 16th time today. It's still raining, right? It's, read, read some scripture. Fill your life with things that matter and will build you up rather than things that will tear you down. We were discussing with the teenagers this morning how difficult it can be to maintain a positive self-image in the midst of this barrage of, of anger and pain and all this stuff that people are throwing at you telling you you're worthless and you're junk and you're, this is broken or that's broken or you're too fat or you're too skinny or you're too tall or you're too short. Quit reading that garbage. There's this, there's this wonderful little thing called Scripture that will feed your soul instead of tearing you apart. When you have a free minute, ask yourself what you're doing. Are you turning on Netflix or are you reading the Bible? One will put a Band-Aid on your soul. The other one will heal it. Which would you rather have? Read inductively. Prioritize Scripture inductively. What does that mean? That means observe what you see in the Scripture. Try to figure out what God is saying. The big word would be interpret. And then do something with it. Ask yourself this question. What does this mean to me and what do I need to do with it? Because if you never get to the place where you're asking yourself what you need to do with it, is that faithful love? I can tell you I love you all day, but if I don't actually demonstrate that I love you, I'm in trouble. The same with God's Word. If you desire it to change, you've got to do something with it. You've got to ask, what do I do with this? Prioritize prayer is my next set of advice. Constantly, not just when you're out of options. Prayer is part of our life, our life, livelihood, not just when I'm in trouble. Intently, listen as well as speak. How often do we sit down with God and just everything and then don't stop to listen to see if he's got a response? He does respond, by the way. Adoringly, remind yourself of who God is to you. Is Nancy not in here? Okay. Heather and I were talking about this the other day. One of the things that Heather loves about the way Nancy prays is that she always starts with statements of adoration about who her God is and how much she loves him. So now all of you are going to go pray with Nancy, which is great. But she always starts that way. That is so important that we remind ourselves of our relationship and our love. It's kind of like, do you tell your wife you love her every time you leave the house? If you don't, you should. Remind each other that you love one another. Remind each other. I'm just watching the two of you interact going, okay. All right. Confessionally, be open to him. Guess what? Newsflash, he already knows. Why are you trying to hide it from him? There's something powerful about confessing your difficulties, your challenges, com confessing if my heart is not in the right place or I'm doing or saying the wrong things. He already knows that. You're not spreading some secret he was not aware of. 
What you're doing it is allowing it to be unburdened from your soul and saying, I will give it to you, Lord, and you will help me through this. Keeping it from him, not confessing our sins to him is a bit like determining I can fix it myself. And I think we've already decided that's not always the right choice, right? Thankfully, cultivate gratitude for his work and his provision. Gratitude is something we need to cultivate. The, the longer we have something, the more likely we are to take it for granted, especially relationships. Prioritize community. Prayerfully remember the needs of others beyond yourself. You know, we, we do a prayer list at the end of every week. We also have a prayer wall that all of these prayers end up on on the app. Yes, that's a plug for the app. But the reason there's a plug for the app is because it allows us to keep up with each other in our prayers means I'm prioritizing your needs over my own, I hope. Because it's really easy for me to want to pray for myself, right? And you should. But if you're prioritizing community, if God loves us all, should we not try to love others as well and put them first sometimes? Jesus might have done that. Put others first. Prayer, uh, let's see, intentionally in community because great things don't happen by accident. We talk about small groups. We talk about gathering together. We talk about calling each other, texting each other. Those are all intentional acts. How many of you start, when you leave here Sunday, go, I need to call so-and-so this week. And then next Sunday, you walk back through the door and you see their face and you go, rats, I need to call so-and-so this week. It happens to me all the time. Great relationships, great community doesn't happen by accident. It happens when we choose to be intentional about it. When we choose to say, I need to call this person, I'm going to call this person. I need to visit this person, I'm going to visit this person. When we need to gather, we need to gather. It's not going to happen by accident. Deeply. Prioritize community deeply because a strand of three cords isn't easily broken. And prioritize consistently because you have to create a new normal. And then finally, prioritize mission. Purposefully remember that we are His people on His mission. Lovingly that we are all broken and pursuing God together. Courageously. Pursuing mission courageously, this is really one of the hardest things to do because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where... Uh, our apology is either about how something we've done affects us or how it has affected somebody else. It's the same kind of thought, kind of mindset. If we don't express our faith, if we're not on mission with God, if we're not trying to tell others the good news, then we are more concerned with how doing that might impact me than how doing that might impact the person I'm speaking to. We've placed our fear in, in how it might cost me a relationship. It might cost me, I don't know, social clout with somebody instead of how it might bless their life, how it might change them. And finally, prioritize mission relationally. The Lord is committed to you and desires a deep abiding relationship with you. How better 
to communicate the importance of that to others than to be in relationship with them. How better to do that? That means sometimes if you're on mission with God, it's about being around people that maybe you normally wouldn't be around. They're not in your normal circle. God loves them too, right? I've been so blessed personally by being around people that were not in my circle, either in my Caucasian circle or my professional circle or my spiritual circle. And what I've been most blessed by is by watching God work through it all and watching Him do amazing things that if it were I was relying on my own strength to pull it off, never would have happened. And blessed to see my heart change and my heart grow. That's what I want for all of you, and I want more of for me, <laughs> too. We serve an amazing God. He desires incredible things for us. The question is, are we willing to build the relationship necessary for him to achieve that. Okay, so as we close, we close every service with a time of prayer. I would love for everybody to stand up. That would be great because it is less awkward for people if they want to get out of the row and run to the back and escape. Not really. If they want to get out of the row and come to the front or talk, it's less awkward if they're not the only ones standing up. So Please stand. I'm going to read off some public prayers, some things that were given to fill us prior to church service. You know that is available every week, right? Somebody standing out front with a clipboard that says prayer team. Would love to have your prayers. The first one is this. Uh, Barb Culp was asked for prayers for Jerry. Jerry on Tuesday is supposed to get a phone call to determine when his open heart surgery is to occur, during which they will fix an aortic aneurysm and maybe a valve. They haven't decided that yet, right? Um, the good part is the doctor says he wishes his arteries look like Jerry's at Jerry's age. So praise God for that, right? He's a stubborn old mule. We know that. All right, so Holly's asked for prayers for Colin's grandfather and for the troops and for Colin in college, right? And how he's doing in college. Stacy has asked for prayers for the family of Shane Ward. He passed away this week. Diana Gamble has asked for prayers for Wyatt Offlick and Lane Willoughby. Is that close? Yes. All right. Uh, they were involved in a car accident where many people were injured in a wreck this week. They are Riverside grads, so many people may know these people. Susan Bechtel, Bechtel has asked for prayers for our students. Um, their college, the college students, she does, if you didn't know this, she does care packages for them every year. Um, if you desire to be a part of that, please let her know. She'd be more than happy to tell you what you can do to help. Patty Elliott has asked for prayers for her son. He's continuing recovery from his surgery. I saw a video of him today. He's up and moving and way ahead of schedule. So praise God for that. Praise God for that. And, uh, We've asked for prayers for Shirley S. McPherson. She's having tests this week for her AFib issues, right? Hopefully the good Lord will fix that right up. Are there any other prayers? Anything else? I'd like to ask you to pray for Thelma Miller and her family. Um, there's a lot of healing to do. 
um, and a new normal for her. They've been together for, Thelma and Lester were, were together for over 60 years. Um, it's gonna, that's a life change. And so I would ask for your ongoing prayers for her. Are you? Okay. Patty's going to have to put down her cat this week. Yes. Yes. Okay. Susan needs addresses for college students. So if you've got a kid in college, please give her addresses. That would be fabulous. Anything else? You do have kids all over the globe right now. You got one in China, right? Oh, I've, I have felt that. Okay. Absolutely. It's a lot of back and forth. Oh, yeah. Are you nervous? No. Oh, not you. Liar, liar. Okay. What else? Anybody else? Yes. Pray for the lane to, rain to let up so we can go. I love you, Holly, so much. I, I love you. All right. Yes, Keith. Yep, Rita is back home and recovering, which is awesome. I, I didn't think she was ever going to get out of the hospital, poor lady. But yes. I'm sorry? Hurricane Dorian has changed courses recently, has it not? And now it's a Cat 5. Okay. So it, there are a lot of people in Florida and around surrounding areas that are going to need some love and safety, right? You have friends there too? Yeah. Anybody else? Yes. Ed Miller won't say anything, but he's having some mouth issues. So let's pray for him as well. Yes. Okay. going to take forever. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. It's Tracy's great niece. Great niece? Yeah. Ari is having some neck issues. She's unable to hold her head up, but she's unable to get the proper testing done because of the healthcare system in Canada. Uh, let's, let's pray for that to move fast, right? For an opening to be had and for that to happen quickly so they can decide what to do next. Anybody else? Huh? Mary Shue. Mary Shue. We should absolutely pray for Mary Shue, uh, Mark's mom. She's uh, gravely ill, um, having some difficulties with her kidneys, and, and um, it doesn't look good. So we need to ask for healing. We need to ask for, for pain relief and comfort, right? Anything else? All right, let us close in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful, so blessed to know that you want to be in a relationship with us, that you want us to know you and love you as you already love us. Lord, you've given us all these ways of connecting with you and growing with you. I, I pray that, that our hearts will be open to, to taking, taking advantage of that not because it gains us any favor with you, not because it makes us more perfect by our own work, but because of the work that you have already done. 
because you in the grandest grace and mercies and love have allowed your son to be our atonement, our payment for our mistakes. It is you and only you who can make us right. And you and only you that can breathe life into us and feed our hearts and souls. For those who are here today that do not yet know you and are still trying to figure it all out on their own, I pray that you will open their hearts to the work that you might want to do in them. That they will see clearly that you love them, that they are all beautifully and wonderfully made in your image, that you desire a powerful, strengthening, life-giving relationship with all of them, and you desire to call them sons and daughters in your family. Father God, I pray that as Holly requested, you'll let the rain lighten up. I pray that you will allow um, safe travels, not just for Ray's family all over the globe, but for all of us on our way home today. I pray that we all have opportunity to tell others of you. I pray that you will keep us safe until we are able to meet again. It is in Jesus' holy name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming.